Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. So today, I wanted to conclude this series with really shifting our eyes to a place that I think can make us enjoy our relationships a lot more, a lot more in how we interact with each other. And so I titled this Handling Our Relationships with Thankfulness. And we're going to be taking some instruction from the Apostle Paul who wrote to a church in Philippi. And the book is called Philippians because the people who lived in Philippi were called Philippians. And so Paul planted this church. He started this church. And he gives these, this amazing, um, just brief 11 verses And all of them are bathed in relationships. And so here's Paul. He's written this this letter to these people. And he's laid out these very key principles on how we can actually enjoy our relationships more. But something's important you understand about this church in Philippi that Paul planted and he started and he grounded out. And then he handed it over to some leaders. Here's what's fascinating. Paul in Philippi did not have a good time. He didn't have a great time with these people. He struggled. There were, there were conflicts. In fact, it was one of the roughest churches getting started that we have on record from the Apostle Paul. And you, and you don't hear any of that in this letter. The letter I'm about to read, you don't hear any of this. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm writing you and I'm a little frustrated. But, you know, if only this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen, things would have been better. But anyway, you don't hear any of that in the letter. In fact, when Paul went to the city to start the church, this is how his journey began. He came out of the gate. He was beaten. Yay, thanks God. Whipped, humiliated, falsely arrested, falsely accused, thrown in prison. And and then this whole city went through a major earthquake. And then he was asked to leave the city by the city leaders. And here's Paul. His letter to these people that he has been through the ringer with. And he starts out, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy. Timothy was his assistant in many different of these church plants. Servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now remember, think about this. Remember, he did not, it was not the most pleasant of circumstances. He's pinning this letter, still healing from the, from the scars on his back, being beaten and drug around and thrown in prison. And he's saying, like, he's got all of these memories attached to this church, right? He goes, and every time I think of you, I thank God and give thanks for you. So see, he's making a choice here. To be able to enjoy these relationships. They had conflict in the church. They had things they had to struggle through. And he goes, every time, every time I remember you, I thank God. That's amazing. And he goes on to write. And all my prayers for you, for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ 
Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Everybody say amen to that. And this is his letter. So we're going to pull out some principles that I believe God wants us to apply to our lives so we can enjoy our relationships more. So how to enjoy our relationships more? Number one, very simple thing. We find this model from Paul. Look for the things to be thankful for in your relationships. Look for the things to be thankful for in your relationships. Paul says this in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. This is an intentional act. This takes effort to give thanks in our relationships. It takes effort because sometimes relationships are difficult. And we need to take, it's an effort, it's an intentional step forward that I am going to make a decision to be thankful for the relationships that I have in my life and to find things that I can be thankful for. The most damaging thing, and here's the truth, my friends, the most damaging thing you can do in your relationships, here it is, is to focus on and dwell on what you don't like in that other person. It's the worst thing you could ever do. The more you focus on what you don't like, the truth is the more unhappy you are in that relationship. Nobody has ever said, you know what? My relationships were struggling, but then I made a change. I started making lists and I started focusing on what I don't like about the other person and it really changed my relationships to be better now. Nobody's ever said that. Just like nobody's ever said, you know, um, uh, you know, my life was not going very well, then I started drinking and all my decisions became better decisions. Nobody says that. Amen? The same thing. If you want to have good relationships, the truth is what Paul encourages us to do, start being thankful. Start being thankful. You will enjoy your relationships more if you make the decision in your life, I'm going to be thankful for the people in my life. It's the truth. Listen, I made a decision in my own life that when I begin to think about somebody that might annoy me, does anyone have people in your life that annoy you? Yes, we all do. You're a Christian and still people annoy you. Yes, that's true. But there are people that, that when I think of them, I, I have a little, like, I get a little tick sometimes. It just happens. But I choose not to rehearse in my mind what I don't like about them. And so this takes discipline. Everybody say discipline. This takes a mental discipline. That you are not going to think about or speak about first what you don't like in that other person. And what, what it does is the more that you are disciplined, the more that you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to dwell on that. Here's the reality. The less of those things you don't like, the less of them you see. Yeah, but Jason, I've been through a lot. You don't know the people in my life. You don't know the knuckleheads that I have to deal with. You're right, I don't. But I promise you this. If you will take, make a decision, start finding and verbalizing what you like about in that other person, it will change your heart. I'm not saying you don't talk about the, the issues and in the, in the struggles in a relationship in a healthy manner. Yes, you do that. But I'm challenging you today. 
Make that the, the percentage, 75% you affirm. You speak life over them. You say, hey, I'm so grateful for this. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your kindness. I'm so grateful for who you are. You're a good man. You're a good woman. I appreciate who you are. Do that 75%. Then it will make way when you need to address the other areas. You can actually have a real conversation. 75-25. But most of us are like 90-10. 90% we criticize, 10% we say, okay, I guess you're okay. Remember, Paul had a lot of negative things that he had to deal with. He could have said them. He could have, he could have written about it. He could, have, he could have reminded them of the things and the struggles, but he didn't. Paul says, I'm remembering the good things about you, and I'm focusing on the good times that we have. have. And when you stop, and here's the truth, when you stop remembering for for married couples, when you stop remembering why you got married in the first place, when you stop remembering what attracted you to that person, when you stop remembering the good times, and when you stop being thankful for your mate, the truth is your marriage is already going down a downhill slide. It's powerful to think about the good things. But the truth is when you stop remembering the good about your family, you stop remembering the good of your church and how you're grateful for the church and things in the friendships and the small groups and all of a sudden things start declining in your own soul and in your own mind. This is why people break relationships off after one thing they don't like. Happens all the time. Why? It's because they just focus on the one thing. And people cut off relationships that God has built in their lives and they've grown in. And one thing goes wrong. One thing someone disagrees with somebody. One thing a decision is made. One thing someone disappoints the other person. I'm out of here. I'm, this, this, they're too bad. I don't want to be around them anymore. That should not be for followers of Jesus Christ. Should not be. We're better than that. Amen. We're called to be thankful for one another. Here's the reality. There are things in your life that are broken. Amen? Every one of us. And so instead of always focusing on what we're working through the journey we're on and cutting off relationships and causing more frictions, let's make a decision. You know what? I'm going to choose to find out what I like in you, and I'm going to mine for that, and I'm going to speak that over your life, over my wife, over my husband, over my kids, over my, my, my small group, over my friends, over my pastors, whoever it may be. It's very, very powerful. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God for you. Let me ask you, let's just be real honest. When you think of people in your life, when just whoever it is, is the first thought of them thankfulness. It's probably not. Maybe for some it is. But it's usually something about a person that we don't like. Or what I need them to change in their life. Or you know what, they're always late or they're always in a hurry. They always chew with their mouth open. They never wipe their mouth. They never pick up their socks. They never, that's what we think. Or we, our thought is how we wish they were different. You know, yeah, I like them, but I wish they were. Most of the time, the first thing we think about of people is not the positive. We think about a negative thing. I don't know why that is. We're all knuckleheads, but the truth is God wants us to come above that 
He wants us to rise above it with the word of God and the spirit of God and the grace of God and begin to take on the spirit and the nature that Paul demonstrates in this letter. Here's the truth. We don't rehearse in our minds what is right with people, do we? We rehearse in our minds what is wrong with people, what we don't like about people. Paul says, when I think of you, the first thing that I rehearse in my mind is how much I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for what you've done. And here's the truth. You guys with me today? Here's the truth. The longer that you're in a relationship, the more likely you are to take that, other, that relationship for granted in that other person. That's just the truth. We get familiar. We stop trying. The longer you know someone, the longer you are at a workplace. Longer you, you, the longer you go to a church, the more you take all those relationships, the workplace, for granted. The more you focus on their faults, the more you know them, the more it's easy to remember the bad times, the two things that frustrated you, or the, this thing, and you don't remember them as the good times and the joys you had and the, and the things you appreciate, appreciate about the other people. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. This is the key to you bringing healing and enjoying your relationships more. If we would just develop this discipline of our minds, of our spirits, Whenever you think of people in your life, your friends, your neighbors, your husband, your wife, your kids, your relatives, the first thing is that I'm, gonna, I'm thankful for, for them in my life. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It's the key. Paul's expressing his thanks for the relationships with them. He's remembering the beginning of the church. He's remembering what they have done for him. He, they actually supported him after he left that church so he could go and do other mission work and plant more churches. And he thinks, he says, I thank God for the help that you gave me. He didn't forget about it. He didn't let it go to the wayside. And here's a question for all of us. What is it that you've forgotten that other people have done for you that you've just totally forgotten about it? You've forgotten about the time they've taken with you. You've forgotten about the prayers they've prayed with you. You've forgotten about the, the coffees you've had with them. You've forgotten about the good times you've had. What if you've forgotten about those people? Instead, you've replaced all of that with a negative, something you don't like. I promise you there is something in every one of our lives that other people don't like. Amen? It's the truth. And the truth is the longer, for some reason, the longer we know someone, the more that we look for their faults. And the more easier it is to remember the bad things and the good things. And Paul says this, listen, when I think of you, I thank God for you. This is a serious, significant key to not only transforming your relationship, but transforming your heart. There are things in all of us that aren't worth celebrating. But there are also things, a lot of things in all of us that are worth being thankful for. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your dedication. I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for your hard work as a dad. I'm thankful for your care, mom, that, that we don't ever acknowledge. I'm, kids, I'm thankful for you, just for your spirit and, and your obedience. I'm, I'm thankful for you. Another way to enjoy our relationships more is number two, very simple one that Paul shows us. We just pray for them. This is a very, very powerful thing. You'll actually never be thankful 
if you don't pray for these people in your life. Philippians 1 verse 4 says, in all, Paul says, in all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. I want you to just for a moment, I just want you to think of someone who irritates you. Don't look at them, just think of them, okay? <laughs> Maybe someone you got a strained relationship with or they just rub you the wrong way. It happens. I have two questions for you. One, do you pray for them? Two, or do you complain and grumble and nag and nitpick them? It's not both. It's one or the other. It's impossible for you to pray for people in the spirit and the right heart and to still nag, complain, and grumble about somebody. Because as you pray for someone, it changes your view of them. It changes your heart. You actually begin to see them the way that God sees them as you pray for them. You begin to, to see how God cares for them and you are praying for them. You are investing into their lives with God and you begin to see them the way that God sees them. If you pray more for these people in your life, there'll be a lot less of grumbling, complaining, nagging, and nitpicking about it. And you might think, yes, but it's important that I always share what my, my, my thoughts. Okay, that's called grumbling and complaining. I, I, I want you to hear me on this, please, because it's a huge thing. You will never see God's full blessing in your life, nor in your relationships, if you complain and grumble to them, about them, all the time. It will not happen. Jason, that's not true. Okay, one of the main reasons a whole generation of the Israelites missed God's promised land, missed God's best for them, was because they murmured and they complained the whole time. Oh, I don't like this. How come it's not this way? How come you're not Moses? I don't like this about you. And how come Moses did this? And God, I don't want this kind of food. Give me this. I wish we could go back to that. And God's like, hey, listen. I, I'm not entrusting you with my, my promised land until you, until you get your mouth situated, tucked away, seal those lips. No, we don't want to. Okay, fine. You won't see my best for you because of this thing. Right here. Everybody point to your mouth. This thing. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's powerful. The Israelites missed God's best because they couldn't control this. Because what came out of it is what they didn't like. I don't like this. I don't like this. I'd rather have this. I'd rather have this. God's like, And they missed out on God's best. Murmuring and complaining doesn't work. But prayer does. Amen? Paul says, I pray for you. Prayer is not for us to impose our will. Lord, I, God, I have a plan for my kid and I'm going to pray my plan. No, that's not what prayer is. The, pur the purpose of prayer is not for us to conform people into our image, what we want, what we think they ought to do. Uh, the prayer is not for us to get them to change. The reality is we, here's the truth, 
all of us, we don't want to change, but we definitely want other people to change. It's our human nature. We don't want to change, but we want other people's lives to change. Here's the secret about that, and please hear me today. You can't change people. So for many of you, if you could just release that one thing, you cannot change people. You cannot change people. Cannot. Everybody say cannot. Cannot change. You can't do it. And we spend so much effort trying to change, change the person, change the person. They can only change themselves through submission to God. And you can only change yourself. You are only responsible for one person's behavior. Yours. So since you, you can't change people, you know what you can do? You can pray. And God can change people. The fastest way to change a difficult relationship and change a, some, a, maybe a struggle you're in or something that's locked onto your heart that's not good, is start praying for them. It'll change you. And then you will be changed in that relationship. And then you will bring a, a peace and a sense of God's presence in that relationship. And then you'll begin to see God using you to bring a peace that starts to change them. It's just the way it goes. Start praying for them. Well, what do I pray? Well, look at what Paul prays. Look at these. He, Paul doesn't say, God, I pray that they would do this and do this and not be this and make their beds. And No, he doesn't say any of that. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more. Oh, God, God, I ask you that, that, Lord, you would just soften their heart towards you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just minister to them and allow them to know your great love for them so that they would respond with them loving you and more in knowledge. Oh, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you're the giver of all truth, and I pray that you would speak truth over my husband, over my wife, over my kids, over my, my friends, and depths of insight. Lord, I pray that you would open up things in their minds they've never seen before so that you may be able, God may be able, or sorry, that the individual may be able to discern what's best. Lord, I pray for my teenager. Lord, they need some wisdom as they're discerning their road and the decisions they make. And when I'm not there, God, I want you to, may they have the, the best discernment they can possibly have. And may they grow in purity. May God, I pray for my husband that God, he would flourish in purity, me in purity, my family, that we would have a pure house. And that why? That we would be blameless for the day of Christ and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Amen. This is how you pray. Another way that we can enjoy our relationships more is number three. Believe the best about people in your life. Believe the best. This is a rare commodity today. It's rare. Well, Jason, I believe the best. I don't know. I've been burnt. But listen to how Paul is believing the best. Look at what he says in verse 6. He said, listen, you know what? I'm confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, you're going to accomplish God's purpose in your life. You're going to overcome whatever you're facing because I have trust in God. And, I, and that God that I have trust in, I have trust that he is working on your behalf. You're going to do it. You're going to overcome it. You're going you're to break through these things. This is, this is very simple, but it's hard to do. Because we normally don't expect the best from people around us. We expect the worst, don't we? 
We expect them to let us down because somebody has done it before. The opposite. I was thinking, what's the opposite of believing the best? And, and I thought, you know, maybe we don't always believe the worst. Maybe that's too far. But we definitely are suspicious of people. Mm, we'll see what's really going on. What do they really mean? Well, we'll see. Here's the truth. We do this a lot in relationships. We're, we're so suspicious of everybody and everything. Here's the, here's the truth. Our, our own Secular court system is more biblical than most Christians. At least in the court system, you're innocent until proven guilty. But with most believers, you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent to me. We come to conclusions that aren't based on any information. Without any conversation with an individual. We just conclude and then we're suspicious because we've made a judgment and we're going to see if they can prove their innocence against my judgment. Well, let me just tell you something. I hope you know you're not the judge. And so people are always, you're always in conflict with, I wonder why that is. Because you were so suspicious of everybody in your life. Because you were hurt one time, and God wants to heal you from that hurt, but don't take that hurt and allow that hurt to ruin these relationships in your life. We do it all the time. Happens in church. We're suspicious of church people, church leaders. Really, I bet they really, I bet they're really, that's really not what they mean. I bet there's something else going on. We're suspicious about everybody and everything. That should not be for believers. We should be confident that God's going to work in their life. Being suspicious is about, again, coming to conclusions without all the information. We do it all the time. And it ruins our relationships. People do it all the time in conversations. We say things and we come to conclusions. That ever happened to you? It's happened to me before. All of a sudden, I'll have, be having a conversation, say, with my wife, and all of a sudden, no, but hang on, I'll say this, this, this. It should be like, that's not even what I was talking about. Oh, my bad. I've come to a conclusion. I've cast a judgment already. It's not even what was going on. We do this in our minds, we do this in our spirits, we do this with our mouths. Actually, Proverbs 18 puts it this way. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Coming to conclusions without knowing all the facts is shameful and it's foolish. This should not be for believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? This should not be. Yeah, I, this is one of, the, one of the, probably the most destructive things in churches, suspicion. And we come to conclusions without listening or knowing all the facts. And the Bible says, that's shameful. And you're being foolish. And we do this in our relationships all the time. But Paul doesn't allow this in his mind, his heart, his spirit. He expects God's purpose to be worked in their life. He said, I'm confident. And guess what? If, if Paul's confident about you, pff, by golly, I'll be confident too. 
He's confident in me, then I'm confident that he's confident in God. And because he's confident in God, I'm confident in God. So thanks, Paul. Now I'm confident. He affirms. He lifts up. He helps them not look at their shortcomings. All of us have shortcomings. Every one of us here. But Paul looks at Christ's ability in the individual and says, I'm confident God's going to work out what he's done. He's going to complete it. Listen, and I'm going to be patient about it too. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, listen, Christ is going to do it. He's going to do it now. And if he doesn't do it now, then you're the fault. He goes, no, 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 no. No, I'm confident that in the day of, of Christ's return, that God's going to work out your journey because we're all on a different journey. He doesn't measure people against him. He, me- he just measures people against the faithfulness of God, that they're following God. He believes that God's going to make his way in their lives, and God's going to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. But all of us, we have this, we have this need in us to just, I just need to tell you what I think. How about don't? It's called Discipline. I just need to tell you how I feel. Are your feelings right? Are you taking responsibility for them? Are you just saying, but I felt it and there it is. Now you're responsible. No. Instead of telling people like it is and telling one another and telling your spouse like it is, how about this? Begin to tell it like it could be. Begin to to tell it, give them, begin to tell them what you believe that God sees in them. Begin to call them up from a place of despair to a place of, listen, sweetheart, I believe in you. I'm with you. I have confidence that you're going to follow God. He's going to help you work this out. I know you're struggling in this. I'm not going to beat you up over that. I'm going to pray for you because I'm confident you're a man of God and you're going to press through. I'm confident you're a woman of God and you're going to seek God and he's going to do something in your life. I'm with you. I'm confident he's going to do his work and complete his work because he's a faithful God. How does that feel? feels great. That's the difference. Paul says, I believe in you. I'm confident of what God has started in your life. He's going to continue to do it. We are to help people see what they could become. Often in our our discussion, Pastor Nathan has said this before in the office. He said, you know, really our jobs as ministers, as pastors, is just to remind people of actually who they are. It's to remind you, God wants to remind you of who you are. We need to remind each other of actually who you are in Christ Jesus. So many times in our relationships, we can insist on perfection. Listen, if this is the case, (laughs) you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. Why? Because nobody's perfect. Nobody. And if you're always expecting perfection in people before you can enjoy the relationship, then you're going to never be happy. If you're always expecting perfection before you'll stop gossiping and murmuring and complaining and grumbling and having side meetings and closed door meetings to talk about people behind your back or in your house, or you're never going to be happy. Paul says, I'm always expecting the best, but I'm patient. It's going to happen. They're going to get there. God doesn't wait until, and I thank God he doesn't wait until we're mature for him to start loving us. And we shouldn't do that either. You've got to love people, brokenness, emptiness, struggle and all. And we've got to be patient in the progress. This will give confidence to them and allow you to enjoy 
the other person's company, the other person's relationship, the other person's friendship, leadership, companionship, whatever it may be. We all need people to believe in us because that's how we change. That's how we change. Is someone else puts courage in us. In, listen, the world and you and me, we need encouragement. I follow a guy that I really love a lot of things that he says. His name is Dr. Jordan Peterson. And he talks a lot about how the world is starving for encouragement. We're all starving for encouragement. The world and the devil constantly tear us down, trying to make us feel worthless, unwanted, not believed in. We all struggle with thoughts of failures and inadequacies. Dads, you struggle with not being enough. Moms, you struggle with not being enough. Kids, you struggle with not being enough. People, leaders, bosses, every one of us struggles with not being enough. And so the last thing we need is someone else telling us you're not enough. Listen, I've got enough Voices in my own head telling me I'm not enough. I surely don't need yours. But I've got a God who wants to remind me who I am. Yes, you may not be enough, but I believe in you. Because you're enough because I've said you're enough. Your life matters because I say it matters. I've found value in you. And I'm calling you to another place. And I'm calling you up and I'm investing my life into you. That's what we need to be saying in each other's lives. Stop affirming the voice of the devil that's already speaking to one another. That should not be for a follower of Jesus Christ. We should be life givers, life speakers. We should nix gossip immediately. I'm not having it. Slander. That should not be for a follower of Jesus Christ because Jesus would never say that about us. We should not say that about other people. Amen. We must start building each other up. Stop criticizing and believe the best and believe that God will complete the work in you. And the last way we can enjoy our relationships more is number four. We can make, we are to make your relationships, our relationship with God, our number one priority. Make your relationship with God your number one priority. Listen, you, you, you see Paul and he's just pouring his heart out and he's just, I, he's, I love you. I'm like, man, where does that love come from? He had some difficult times. How did he, how did, I mean, here's the question. How do you get love if you don't have love for people, right? How do you, how do you have compassion for people if you don't have compassion? How do you, well, you try hard. Where do you get it? Paul knew the secret. Look at verse 8. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of, wait a minute, Christ Jesus. So Paul is, is drawing near to God. And out of that nearness with God, he now has the affection of Jesus Christ in his life. He's able to love people the way that Jesus loves. Why? Because he spent time with Jesus. The truth is this, in all of our relationships, people are not the number one in your life. Our marriage is not number one. Your kids are not number one. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife is not number one. The only way to prosper in all of your relationships is to make God number one in your life. 
It's the only way. Nothing else will happen. The closer you get to God, the better your relationships will be. The closer you get to know the loving and kindness of an incredible father, the more you will be conformed into his image and the love of Jesus will flow. Not just to you will begin to flow through you to other people. You begin to see what God sees in them, not what the world wants to tear down in them. You begin to see what God's potential is in them, not what the world and the devil has been telling them in their head and who they are. This is how you do it. You get close to Jesus. It's easy to say, you know what? I want, I, I want to love people like Jesus. That's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. Do you know why? Because you're not Jesus. <laughs> you're not. We're not the servant that Jesus is. fact is, we all tend to look at our own needs before we ever look at the needs of other people. But it is possible. Because the more you look to Jesus, the more you become like him. The more you become like him, the more your relationships begin to turn around. Because you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I really believe if God was number one in our lives... If we came to church together and we came into worship and we said, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to worship you. I, I'm going to worship you even though I don't feel like worshiping you, but you're number one in my life. I'm going to give you the sacrifice of my praise. I'm going to lift my hands out of surrender to you. Not because I feel like it, but because you are worth worshiping. And I want to glorify your name. And I want to bring you honor with my life. I don't want anything else to be in the way. And we make him number one. And we press into God. And begin to call out to God. And we begin to get in his word. And let it get in us. And us make that number one in our lives. We, get, we begin to ask God to change us and transform us to forgive us, to cleanse us, to take the pride away from our life, to, to take the addictions away from our life. And God, I don't want to compromise anymore. Lord, I want to be everything you call me to be. I want you to be number one in my life, God. Everything changes. Everything changes. And that's what God wants for you. He wants to be number one. Because it's not because he's demanding because he knows it's the answer to what you're seeking and what you're wanting. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the fullest. And the way you get the full life is to be with Jesus. He's the vine. He's the connection. He's the life. He's the source. He's the one. And if you'll draw near to him, the murmuring of your mouth will begin to fade away the hardness of your heart that all you see is bad things that people will begin to drift away if you truly could totally understand how fortunate you are to have a relationship with the God of the universe that shows you, that picks you, that knows your name, that calls you his own, that no numbers the hairs on your head, that knows your past and, and still wants to give you a future. If you fully understood that, you would never judge anyone in your life. If you fully knew of God's love towards you, you would be so overwhelmed by his grace and his love that only thing you could do is offer that grace and love to other people. God wants to be number one. And I think every one of us in here would admit, I want him to be number one. But these things keep getting in the way and I keep stumbling here. And 
Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary, heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Whatever it is that's burdening you, whatever it is that's tripping you up, whatever it is that you're dealing with, God says, bring it to me. And I think if we made a decision as a church that Jesus will be number one, our relationship, this community will become healthy. We will be life givers, not life takers. We will be encouragers, not discouragers. And God would begin to prosper us. He'd begin to touch us. He'd begin to change it. He, there would be a love for one another that we've never experienced before. But the answer is making God number one. Your marriage can flourish if God is number one. Put aside, God, I need to tell you, God, you know, I want to make you number one, but after I make you number one, I want you to, I, please listen, I want you to do things my way. That's not making God number one. That's making you number one. Make God number one. And let's all take a step forward. And all of that journey starts with being thankful. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.